I think the last night of Hanukkah last year was December 10th or something. The first night was December 2nd or 3rd, something like that. Anyway, this year it feels like I've been waiting a long time to get there. Well, the time has finally come, almost. This weekend we will tell the ages old story that has enchanted our people from generation to generation. Will the righteous rebels upend the oppressive tyranny? Will light prevail over darkness? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Those of you who know me know that I'm talking about yesterday's release of Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker. It's the last chapter in an epic trilogy of trilogies told across some four decades. If you've seen the film already, I beg you, please, no spoilers tonight. And there won't be any from me either because Susan and I haven't seen it yet, so I know how hard it is, but thank you. (laughs) When he was creating the world that became the Star Wars universe, eventually, George Lucas consulted the eminent mythologist Joseph Campbell. He drew from the wells of many world traditions, especially Eastern religions like Buddhism. The heroic Jedi do seem to reflect certain Buddhist traits, such as monastic discipline and a practiced non-attachment. But could the Jedis possibly be Jewish? Who's ready for a crazy fan theory? Let's dive in. Both Jedi and Yoda perhaps come from Hebrew, Jedi in Hebrew, yod knowers, ladat is to know. Yoda, yode, oh, just wait. Are you, are you serious? You mean you can't imagine stepping into a deli in Manhattan and seeing this old man reading the newspaper? Come on, have a little imagination. All right. So we have Yodea, Jedi, and Yodea, or Yoda, Yoda, meaning ones who know, knowers. Knowledge, which of course is paramount in every religion, and certainly in the Jedi religion too. Also, that's not all. Anakin Skywalker's mother is Shmi. In Hebrew, the word Shmi means my name. Therefore, there could be a sort of eponymous beginning of the story with Shmi, meaning my name is Shmi Skywalker, the first Skywalker, the genesis of the Skywalkers. I haven't convinced the college students yet, but just wait. Okay. Keeping to go, Queen Amidala. If Shmi is... (laughs) If Shmi is Jewish... That makes Anakin and his wife also Jewish, making their children Luke and Leia Jewish. (laughs) So, ergo, the Jedis are Jewish warriors, and Yoda is their rabbi. (laughs) So, as I said, crazy fan theory, right? Or is it? Now, I can't take credit for this. I actually found it in a YouTube comment. Usually, looking at YouTube comments is a self-immolating behavior. 
But in this particular case, somebody had this brilliant idea, which I, uh, I'm going to think about a lot. But I found it clever enough to share with all of you tonight because I think there is something here. Uh, the Jedi do, in fact, exhibit certain Jewish attributes. For instance, their emphasis on the relationship between student and teacher. Like the ancient rabbis and the modern Hasidic masters, they defer to a sacred unifying force that suffuses all things with the essence of life and ties everything together as one. Some of you know what is said on a tombstone in a Jewish cemetery? Tehei nishmato five letters that you often see abbreviated one next to another. It means, may the life of our beloved one be bound up in the force of life. It's, it's such a stretch to see this theology as a Jewish theology. It's what I would call non-deistic monotheism, perhaps similar to the God idea made popular by the then heretical Baruch Spinoza in the 17th century. However, I'm not going to take you too far down this road because there's another Jews and Jedi sermon waiting for that topic. So just wait until the next movie comes out. Like the ancient rabbis, the Jedi are always looking to bring the light into balance in a very dark world. Think Luke and Han against the, amp the Empire, or Rey and Finn against the First Order. It's the archetypal mythology undergirding the whole series, and also this is a key part of the Jewish story. It's the story that we tell, of course, at Hanukkah time, of Judah and the Maccabees versus the Syrian Greeks. That's all that this stuff symbolizes. But you know that these charming Hanukkah traditions originated in what is in fact a very dark story, a very difficult and bloody story of persecution and zealous, violent uprising against it. It's the story of the desecration of the temple in the second century before the Common Era, a Seleucid Greek empire that because of reasons that are still unclear to historians, decided to move from a really pluralistic live-and-let-live attitude to putting pigs in the temple to sacrifice on the altar to Zeus, to putting an end to circumcision, to Torah study, making all of the Jews basically hide underground, except, of course, all the Jews didn't hide. Some stood up to do something. And today, still, we see darkness in our world. On top of the myriad recent anti-Semitic incidents, which we've spoken about in recent weeks. Last week, we learned of a modern desecration of our sanctuary, not just figuratively, but literally. This time, it was at the Nessa Persian Synagogue in Beverly Hills, California. My rabbinical classmate, Tarlin, grew up there. In case you haven't heard yet, someone broke in there in the night and quite literally desecrated their sanctuary. Now, it is not easy to look at some of the slides I am about to show you. And for that, I apologize. This is what they found. Torah scrolls on the ground. Torah's lying in shambles, undressed and uncovered. A Torah scroll ripped from its Sephardic housing. And this one actually hit me in the gut the most. The broken glass on the floor. Now, I mentioned before that my friend Tarlin is a rabbi there. This is Tarlin. She's amazing. She's now a rabbi in San Francisco at a Jewish startup called The Kitchen. And she shared her own pain in the wake of this uh, incident in an article this week. 
Describing what her Torah custom meant growing up in that particular synagogue, she shares information about Persian customs in which children and adults alike would run to the Torah at the Torah service. Everybody runs up to it and touches it. And we're used to, what do we do here when we have the Torah come out? We maybe kiss it with our, our tzitzit or with our prayer book or just sort of follow it with deference. But she says the following. By placing the hands on the Torah first and then over their eyes, I was taught we are showing that the Torah is as precious as our eyes, the most precious part of our body, according to the Persians. You would even hear grandmothers and mothers telling their kids and grandkids to charge toward the Torah as if their favorite superhero had just arrived. Bodo, bodo, Torah, romakan. Go, go, run and kiss the Torah in Farsi. Now I am heartbroken, imagining that the same Torah scroll lies desecrated on the ground. Of course, the first resonance that most of us have when we see pictures like this, hear stories of this, is not the second century before the Common Era and the Maccabean Revolt. It's darker days in our recent history. This week in my Talmud class, we studied a section of the tractate called Shabbat, which tells the story of Hanukkah and its many laws. Among those laws is the following. There's an idea called Pirsum Hanes, Pirsuma Denisa, which is the idea that it is a commandment to show that the miracle happened proudly and publicly. And so ideally, we're supposed to put our candles for Hanukkah, the menorah, in the window, or even better, on the outside of our homes, as if you've ever been to Jerusalem at Hanukkah time. It's among the most beautiful times to go to Jerusalem because in the old city, you'll see just light everywhere with people having these beautiful olive oil lamps outside of their homes. However... There's this other idea that in times of danger, whatever that means, it's very vague in the Talmud, in times of danger, one can actually withdraw the light from outside the home and bring it in in a place where it cannot be seen publicly. Of course, the idea is out of interest for saving lives, lest the authorities that issued whatever horrible decree come charging and taking away the Jews in those homes. I think sometimes it feels like a time of danger right now. I think whenever we see things in the news that concern us, we ask about, or we ask ourselves about historical antecedents. We worry what might be coming down the pike for us. But the good news, I think, is that our country, despite its many faults and the problems made bare in the last several years, Our country and its democracy are resilient institutions. And our friends have our backs. Let's take a look at just a couple of responses this week from non-Jewish allies and friends on Facebook. This is my friend Candace. And here's a friend to all of us. The response in this time is not to withdraw or wring our hands, but to be joyful, to strengthen our ties with each other, with our non-Jewish friends, 
It's time to be proud of who we are because we know that with God's help, we will make it through. In the meantime, I think we have three jobs. One, to stay awake, to pay attention. Two, to take care of one another. And three, to be forces of light ourselves, to bring that light when there is darkness around. There have been times in our people's history where in response to persecution, we have been pacifists, perhaps of necessity. There are other times in our history, like the story of Hanukkah, and I would say today, where we have the privilege of being activists. The days of the past are not our days. Today, we are all activists. Many of you know that last year, we marked the 80th anniversary of Kristallnacht. At that time, the chief rabbi of Berlin climbed into a giant cherry picker alongside the president of Germany to light Europe's largest Chanukiah. Thinking back to Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass leading up to the Shoah, compared with Berlin today, here are the two scenes that you would see at the Brandenburg Gate. Before and after. So it's an essential message, my friends, of both Jedis and Jews that light will always prevail over darkness if we will it, if we work to make it so. We maintain our faith then that as dark as our days are, there is always hope. This Hanukkah, even as we retreat into downtime and enjoy a little bit of well-earned break, as, as we go to celebrate with family and friends, to travel to exotic locations or just stay at home, whatever it is, my invitation to us is to remain awake, committed, caring for one another, and bringing the light ourselves. And what could be better to see these ideas combined? I promised it was not just my ideas to combine the Hanukkah story with the Jedis. And I encourage you to pay attention to as many Hanukkah songs and uh, Jedi references as you can in the following video. <laughs> 